You are listening to Sunday Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and executive director of the Institute and your host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler, Spirit of Truth, present in all places and filling all things, the treasury of blessings and the giver of life. Come and dwell within us, cleanse us of all stain, and save our souls, O good one. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome back. Hello, Father Hezekiah. It's good to see you. Good to be here, and it's good to be seen. Yeah. It, no, it's yes, good to see indeed. You. Um, <laughs> the 15th Sunday in Ordinary Time, and we're going to take a look at these, these biblical texts here for our Sunday Gospel Reflection, so let's go ahead and share those references with everybody, Annie. Let's do it. For the 15th Sunday in Ordinary Time, our first reading comes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 30, verses 10 through 14. There are actually two options for the responsorial psalm. One option is Psalm 69. The psalm that we'll be mentioning today is Psalm 19. The gospel is Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And our epistle comes from St. Paul's letter to the Colossians, verses 15 through 20. So hope you got out your notebooks and your Bibles so that you can follow along. There we go. So let's jump right into it in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 10. Yes. Moses said to the people, If only you would heed the voice of the Lord your God and keep his commandments and statutes that are written in this book of the law, when you return to the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. For this command that I enjoin on you today is not too mysterious and remote for you. It is not up in the sky that you should say who will go up in the sky to get it for us and tell us of it that we may carry it out. Nor is it across the sea that you should say, who will cross the sea and get it for us and tell us of it that we may carry it out? No, it is something very near to you already in your mouths and in your hearts. You have only to carry it out. You know, while we're there, while we're there, Annie, why don't you go ahead and read the next verse? Very oh, okay. Well, suitable. hang on. I have the lectionary book out. Let me pull up Deuteronomy. Uh, you, uh, how about getting your Bible book out, Annie? Well, of course. I know. Deuteronomy chapter 30. And I am doing, or why don't you read it? You got your Bible out? I do, but you were there. Okay. I'll read it. Verse <laughs> okay. 15. Verse 15, chapter 30, verse 15 is the next verse. See, I have set before you this day life and good, death and evil. You obey the if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his way, and by keeping his commandments, his statutes, all right, then you shall live and multiply. Yes. There you go. There's the two roads. The big mm-hmm. gray road that they, you know, the, the whole that everybody wants to, to draw down the middle of our life. It's okay as long as you don't like murder people. Well, if you murder babies, it's okay, but you know, you murder other people. <laughs> and uh, you know what I mean? 
as long as you're not really too religious, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. oh, those are the two ends that are like not acceptable, but the big gray moral road, actually in the Bible, it doesn't exist. I set before you life and death. Yes, these are mm -hmm. two paths or two ways of life, or two, two ways for our life. One which leads ultimately to death and one which leads to true life, eternal life. So there you Don't go. we hear that in Revelations too? You should be neither hot nor cold. Or you. you should be hot or cold, but if you're lukewarm, yeah. I'll spew you from my mouth. Yeah. I think I remember yeah. that from Revelation somewhere. Yeah. So looking at the book of Deuteronomy, um, so chapter 30 is not quite the last chapter, but toward the end of the book of Deuteronomy. So Father, what has been happening leading up to this uh, life or death moment, if you will? So what we have to understand is that Israel, the book of Deuteronomy, the, the word Deuteronomy, the name Deuteronomy means second law. Mm -hmm. Yes. In fact, if you go back to the beginning of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter one, which we always we do so often with the prophets, but in this case, in the book of Deuteronomy, it's helpful also. Look at Deuteronomy chapter one. Okay. Mm -hmm. These are the words. Go ahead. And you can skip all the hard, the you know, locations, but go ahead. Anna. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> do this lectionary style just take out the hard stuff okay these are the words that moses spoke to all israel beyond the jordan in the wilderness and the arabah over and against all of these places that are hard to say it is 11 days journey from horeb by the way of mount seir to kadesh barnea and in the 40th year on the first day of the 11th month moses spoke to the sons of israel according to all that the lord had given him in commandment to them after he had defeated Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ash, Ashtaroth. Yeah. Yeah. Keep going. going. Yeah. All right. Beyond the Jordan in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this law, saying, the Lord our God said to us in Horeb, if you okay. have stayed. Okay. There you go. So here's the very fast paced, big picture context. Israel left Egypt. They went to Mount Sinai. They encamped there. They received the law and they set out from Mount Sinai. Another name for Mount Sinai is Horeb. Mount Horeb. Mm -hmm. And how far is it from Mount Horeb to, um, uh, to uh, where they're camped here? Kadesh Barnea in the land of Moab. 11 days. 11 days. But it takes them? 40, 40 years. years, right? So what has happened? Well, very quickly, 11 days journey from outside. We have this idea that like crossing the desert, I mean, took forever. No, they, they, they make their way across the, the, uh, the, the land. Maybe it was more than 11 days journey if you're with a caravan of people, but nevertheless, it's a short journey, two weeks. Yeah. And they mm -hmm. end up on the edge of the Jordan River in Numbers chapter 13. So you can read that Numbers chapter 13 and they go into the land. They send spies in the land. They come back with the spies, give a bad report at all, except for Joshua, Joshua and, Caleb. and Caleb. And, and they say, well, let's go back to Egypt. So the Lord says, that's it. Okay. Now, how long were they in their spine out the land? 40 days. You'll see that in Numbers chapter 13, their spine out the land 40 days. So the Lord says in chapter 13, that's it. You didn't trust me. So you're going to, your dead bodies are going to die in this desert. It's where you want to live, live here 40 years, one year for every day. 
that you spied out the land, Numbers chapter 13. And after that 40 years, they finally make their way back to the Jordan River, and they're standing there in the plains of Moab. What are the plains of Moab? It's the Jordan. It's, across, it's Jordan. the Transjordan yeah. area, right? It's today the country of Jordan, which is on the, the eastern bank of the Jordan River, right? We, got, we talk about the West Bank. What are you talking about? The Jordan River runs right down the center of the Holy Land, right? Or right mm -hmm. down the edge of the Holy Land, right? The West Bank is the is the side the, the western side that's within the promised land, right? Mm -hmm. I'm gonna pull up, let's pull up the map right here. Here you see it's the Jordan River, West Bank, west side of the Jordan. The east bank are the plains of Moab. Okay. It's Jordan. And there they are among the Mo the Moabites are the ancient pagan peoples that lived there. Okay. Many people in my of my parishioners are Jordanians. And so they're Moabites, right? Mm -hmm. And I always remind them of this because the Moabites are godless people. And nothing Ruth was a Moabite, was she not? Ruth was a Moabite. She was, she was one of the faithful ones. She was one, one of the good ones, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. The Jordanians here are wonderful people. But uh, here we are. And, and then, so, so what's more, more specific context now? They end up there in the plains of Moab in Numbers chapter 25. So turn with me to Numbers chapter 25. You're going to understand the entire book of Deuteronomy. And it's here. Chapter 25 of Numbers, verse 1. While Israel dwelt in Shittim, the people began to play the harlot mm. with the daughters of Moab. That's a funny um, image, isn't it? Playing the harlot with the daughters. Mm -hmm. right? Why are they playing the harlot with the daughters? Because, because, of course, who is the husband of God's people? We talked about this last week. Israel. It's the Lord, right? So when they oh, play the harlot, yes, so, the, so the bride is Israel. If the if Israel is going to play the harlot, last year we talked last week we were talking about this regarding the Babylonian exile. Mm -hmm. Remember the Lamentations? Yep. It talks about Israel and all her lovers who were mm -hmm. unfaithful to her, right? She was unfaithful to her husband. So here the people began to play the harlot with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the to sacrifice their gods. What? What? In the after 40 years, for God's sake, not again. <laughs> Don't do it. You just spent 40 years for having fallen into sin. Don't <sighs> do it again. And they bowed down to their gods. And Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor. That's the, the God of the Moabites. And, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against them. And the Lord said to Moses, take all the chief priests and hang them in the sun before the Lord. Whoa. And so here's what happens now. Following this sin of with the Moabites, they're ready to enter the, the promised land. But it's that last minute that they're like, they're like, no. So you Moses so stands close. up in front of the people. And we see that in Deuteronomy chapter one, verse five, beyond the Jordan in the land of Moab, mm -hmm. Moses says, son, if you didn't hear me the first time, that's the law that was given in Exodus, right? If you didn't get it the first time. Let me make it a little clearer for you. And now he writes an entire book of laws. And let me, so then what does this look like? Son, go make your bed. That's <laughs> my voice. Okay. <laughs> make your bed. Okay. You come down. An hour later, I go up. Son, make your bed. <laughs> yeah. Except this time, it's more like this. Let me explain to you what it means to make your bed. You take your sheet, 
and you put it up in there. And you take your blanket and you put it over here. And you take your comforter and you put it over here. And you flatten it all out and you make sure everything is tucked in. And that's what it means to make your bed. Because obviously you didn't understand the words in the, the first time I spoke with you, right? This is Moses, Deuteronomy, second law, explaining again to the people. And that's what it's all about. If you're going to see, just skim with me through the headliners of your chapters, sure. right? And here, look at Deuteronomy chapter five. What is it? The Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. Again, right? And then what's the greatest commandment? We're going to see that in just a minute. Mm -hmm. Okay. Look at, look, while we're here, so we don't have to come back to it. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse five, verse four and five. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. You see this? Who says those words? We're about to see it in just a minute. Okay. Yeah. Now, just hold on to that because it's in Deuteronomy, but then keep looking about all the laws that are given, all the commandments are given uh, about how the people are supposed to treat one another and, and so forth. All of these things, Deuteronomy is Moses saying, let me make it explicitly clear. And now we come to the text at hand. Deuteronomy chapter 30 is at the end of Deuteronomy, right? It's right near mm -hmm. the end in which Moses says, okay, now it's time for you to choose because I'm not going to be with you any longer. I'm about to go up on the mountain and I'm going to breathe my last. Joshua's going to lead you across the Jordan River. So my children, you're going to have to make a choice about how you're going to live. Either you're going to live for the Lord or you're going to live for these godless heathens over here. Which one do you want? You choose right now. You choose it, son. How do you want to live? You're going to make your bed or you're going to get out of the house. <laughs> okay, yeah. you get my point. All right. And so there you have it. And that's why I had you read that next verse uh, in chapter 30, verse yeah. 15. I set before your life and good. Look, it's your choice. You're going to make, make do with, with your life the way you want to live it. I can't do any more for you. That's the book of Deuteronomy. And that's what's being said here today. And it's not far from you. It's not far from you. And this is so important. I, gotta, I can't stress how important this, this point is here in chapter 30, verses 10 through 14. When Moses says, you know this, what I put before you? You know this big long, this book I just wrote you, this big explanation I just gave you, you didn't need it from me. I mean, you did need it from me because you obviously weren't listening. And that's why God wrote it on stone for you so that you could put it in front of you and read it. But at the end of the day, he made you for this. He made our first parents with our law written on our hearts. But because of your sin, the will of God for you is far from you. But it, it doesn't need to be that way. It, it's, it's, it's right in here. You just have to rediscover this gift which God made you for. It's been with you all along. Yeah? And so this is what Moses says. It's, it's quite beautiful. If, if, and, and I think very applicable also to how we go about our life as Christians. Whether we're following a law exterior to us. Why do I do the things I do? Why do I follow the teachings of the church the way I do? Because it's here or because it's here? Because somebody told me I have to do it because I want to love it. Yeah, there's a big difference there. I was going to ask, you know, what is what do you think this teaches us about the law? Like, I guess all of Deuteronomy, but but particularly this passage that we'll be reading this weekend. Well, I've said it before. I'll say it again. The law is like the car manual in your glove compartment. 
it is not a dictatorial positive law that like, the Lord went, that's the God of the Muslims, okay? For the mm-hmm. Muslims, the laws that God places upon them, he could have done otherwise. It's because he's- it's, It just felt it's like it, yeah. Whims- right, whimsical. But, but the true God, the, the, the one that we bow down and worship is other than that. For he has made us in his image and after his likeness. He's made us to be like him. And his law is simply a law which allows us to do that. Yeah. I'm, and I'm serious. I go back to the bed thing. I know it's kind of joking, you know, but this happens, right? Like, why do we make our kids make their, make their beds? Well, because I'm, they think, oh, dad's just being mean. Well, no, we're, tra- we're training them not about making our bed. We're training them for such, something much greater than that. But all the laws of the Old Testament, which get such a bad rap, shouldn't get a bad rap. They were all there to help the people come back to the fundamental, the foundational law itself, mm-hmm. which we just saw in Deuteronomy chapter six. Yeah. All these little things about making our bed are about something more important than that. And that's what Jesus is about to do in the gospel. When we read it, that's what Deuteronomy, what Moses is doing here. He's saying, look, it's right here. It's, and, and, and if you allow it to be here, if you allow your uh, your, your, your heart to be in communion with the, with the love of God, your life's going to change. So I, I use car manual as an example, because the, the designer of the car writes the car manual because he knows how the car is going to be a happy car. He doesn't impose the car manual on you to make you like hate going to the oil place and getting gas. And right? mm-hmm. he tells you get it because that's what's, this is how it's designed. Yeah. We're designed a certain way. Yeah. My brothers and sisters, we are not free to do whatever we want. We are free to do what is true and good. For when we do not do those things, we find ourselves in slavery. The only true freedom is a freedom within the confines of our nature, right? A car is, is free to do car kind of stuff. And when it doesn't, or when its owner doesn't have it do car kind of stuff, it breaks. That's not happiness. That's not freedom for a car. I'm, you know, yeah. I'm, I mean, funny, but you know what I mean? It's the yeah. same in our, in our lives. The, and that's the law of the, that's the nature of the law. Which is, I mean, you couldn't have led us more seamlessly into the responsorial psalm. Um, at least one of the options that we have for for this weekend in Psalm 19, your words, Lord, are spirit and life. The law mm. of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. I mean, that's exactly what you were just saying. Like that, to the world, that sounds so oxymoronic. The law refreshing to the soul, exactly. really? No, the, but it is. is so important and so important for us as Catholics who oftentimes approach the law from a from a dictatorial positive law kind of way as though you know oh the church doesn't allow for contraception right and because it's being mean mean right so no the laws of god the laws of the church if we allow them to be the law of our life will lead us to true happiness and we'll discover joy within them and so i'm gonna let's read this together because the response role psalm is supposed to be done in this way right that there, it's an application to my life. Mm-hmm. It's an application of what the Old Testament reading. Now I accept this truth and I proclaim it. I sing it out in the church. It's, it's true about me also, like it was about Israel 
at the time of the of standing there looking at the promised land. Like they're, they're literally looking at it. And Moses says, there it is. Do you want it? But there's a way of life within this house of God. And if you want to live that life, you're going to find, discover true life. If you don't want to live that way, you can't be in the house anymore. Yeah. So listen to this. I'm going to change. I'm going to say the law of the Lord, the law of the church, right? Because the church is the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. So when the church speaks, she speaks the words of truth. So I'm just going to say the law of the, of, of the Lord, the law of the church is perfect. Refreshing the soul. Do I accept the teachings of the church in this way? Hmm. Do, do, they, do they refresh my soul? Or do I, do I see them as obligations? Which I kind of go, oh, I wish it was easier. Yeah. The decree of the Lord is trustworthy. Really? giving wisdom to the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord, the commandments of the church are clear, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are true, all of them just. The teachings of of God are more precious than gold. Do you value them in your life more than gold? Would you, we go to work every day, eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours a day, 401C, whatever they are. 401Ks. Ks. Mm-hmm. And, and we can explain exactly what these things are and how to pursue them and how to get the best out of them, how to work the system so that we can just suck everything. And do we do that for the teachings of the church? Do we, do we meditate upon them day and night? Do we study them at our desk at night before we go to bed? Do we make spreadsheets and see how we're doing in, our, in growing in them? Yeah. Do you, you see? And, and if not, then, then this responsorial psalm should be a, a, a warning to us, but also an invitation. See, this is what I want in my life. And all the rest of that stuff will get taken care of. It's all going to get taken care of, but I put the Lord first in my life. I put the precepts of the, of the Lord first in my life. I found a quote from St. John Chrysostom that I thought was. Share it with us. He nice. says, the words of God, the prophet says, are desirable above gold and every precious stone and sweeter than honey and the honeycomb, but they are only so to those in sound health. Therefore, he added, your servant keeps them. And elsewhere, again, after saying that they are sweet, he added, to my palate. How sweet to my palate, he says, are your promises. And he goes on to insist their excellence by the words sweeter than honey and the honeycomb to my mouth because he was in very sound health. Well, then, let us not on our part approach these words in ill health, but let us receive nourishment from them after having restored our souls to health. I think exactly what you were just saying there, Father, you were channeling St. John Chrysostom. <laughs> hardly, hardly. Now, how do you restore your soul to health? You know, number one, you got to go to Holy Confession mm-hmm. and want to go there. Not because it's okay. I have one year obligation. I have to do it. I want to go to confessions. I want to talk to the Lord about my life. I want to share my life. And that's where we share our life with the in Holy Confession. Yeah. And then avail myself of the Holy Mysteries of the Eucharist because I want to be there. To go to yeah. church early and stay late because that's my home. That's what I tell my kids. I says, you know, we have a house over here down the road, but our home is over here at the church. That's this mm-hmm. is the Lord's home and it's going to be our home. Yeah. And so, Absolutely. yeah, it's a different way of approaching things, but it's one that we need to grow in as, as a community, 
as members of the community and then begin to live our life there, receiving our way of life in our father's house and making that our way of life until we desire it. I was just last night putting away our leftovers from dinner. Yeah. And I, Linda, the, my, my wife, Linda, had, had made this beautiful, she'd made uh, Tom Yum, like noodles. Nice. Uh, or not Tom, not Tom Yum. What's the other, what's the, what's the national dish of the Thai people? <laughs> um, You're asking the wrong it's, person. It's the noodles, you know, like, yeah. I can't remember the name. Anyway, she made it. It's delicious. It was delicious. So it was, but there was leftovers. So I went to get the container. Pad out. Thai noodles. Pad Thai. Thank you. It's a national dish. That's not very sensitive <laughs> to me, uh, of me. So I go to get a container out and to put the noodles in it. And I realized I got too big of a container. Mm-hmm. And so I went back to the cabinet and I got a smaller container. So I took the bigger container and I poured it and I put it into this smaller container and it fit. Now, but I, the reason I'm telling you this is that my dad used to do this and I was washing dishes and it would drive me crazy. Yeah, it's, okay. it's okay. There's extra room in the container. Just put it away. I don't want to wash 18 dishes. I don't want to wash another dish. And there I was doing it, you know, because that's what happens, right? We grew up, we think we know better than our parents. Yeah. And then we come to find out that they actually understood something. And, uh, and so we need to become like this with our heavenly father that he, he knows best for us. And it's not a matter of me doing it begrudgingly. Okay, fine. He knows best for me, but he knows like something better for me. Don't I want what's better for me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, so let's leave it at that. Let's take a look at the gospel here. Yeah, because this is a, you know, an example of what you're just talking about, I think, in yeah. a way. So we are in Luke chapter 10, and uh, we're starting at verse 25 today. It says, there was a scholar of the law who stood up to test Jesus and said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He said in reply, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He replied to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But because he wished to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man fell victim to robbers as he went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. They stripped and beat him and went off, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road, but when he saw him, he passed on the opposite side. Likewise, a Levite came to the place, and when he saw him, he passed by on the opposite side. But a Samaritan traveler who came upon him was moved with compassion at the sight. He approached the victim, poured oil and wine over his wounds, and bandaged them. Then he lifted him up on his own animal, took him to an inn, and cared for him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper with the instruction, take care of him. If you spend more than what I have given you, I shall repay you on my way back. Which of these three, in your opinion, was neighbor to the robber's victim? He answered, the one who treated him with mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Now, obviously, 
the parable of the Good Samaritan, one of the most famous parables in all of the Gospels. But let's talk about sort of the impetus for Jesus telling it here. I mean, why is this scholar of the law trying to test him? Well, that, I, that, that's really important right at the beginning, Annie, and you're going to miss this. Most, most people, except those that are participating in this study, are going to miss the very first verses because they just get kind of like, you know, get started and you kind of forget about it, right? Mm-hmm. There was a scholar of the law who stood up to test Jesus. Now, where are we in the gospel as we always do? You know where we are in the gospel because we've been here in the gospel. Yeah, we've been in Luke chapter 10 for a couple of weeks now. Yeah, yeah. this is Jesus. What's, what's our key verse, guys? You guys are going to tell me right now. Write it down. What verse are you going to do to help you focus on what's going on in the gospel? Obviously, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 9, nine. verse 53. Right, Annie? Yeah. That is face to Jerusalem. We've been doing this for like three or four Mm -hmm. weeks in a row now. So here we are. So in other words, it's at the end of the gospel, which explains a lot about why Jesus is so like in your face with these people. He's so like, you know, Jesus is Moses, right? We've been talking about this and he's, Mm -hmm. and now he's not getting frustrated because he's Jesus, but I would get frustrated. So I'm channeling my own frustrations. So, so, so uh, going back to Moses now, right? 40 years in the desert. You got to realize Moses has been living with these Three people. Three years with me years. here in Galilee. Moses yeah. has grown old. Although yeah. it says that he didn't age after he yeah, went up to sea. That's but awesome. nevertheless, 40 years. And then the sin of the Moabites. Yeah. Jesus has been with these people for three years. Walking on water. Forget you know, uh, taking water out of rocks. Jesus has been resurrecting people from the dead Mm -hmm. and they still will not listen. And so here you have it. This guy comes forward and this is all. I don't think he's one of those 70, I'm guessing. (laughs) No, exactly. He's one, he's one, he's one of the, the 70 was sent to, I guess. No, he's one of these guys standing on the sides on the crowds. I've been talking about this last few crowds around Jesus there's the Pharisees whispering aside. How are we going to arrest him? How are we going to put him down? How are we going to get rid of him? Let's get this guy. Going, other people going, this guy, I don't know about this Jesus guy. I mean, come on. It was easier when he, before he came over here, we didn't have to change our lives. Now he wants to change our lives. Come on. We just want to go back to our parents. Come on. Mm-hmm. You know, but then Jesus like looks at him and he's like, oh, master. Cause they don't want to be embarrassed in public. Right. Oh, master. <laughs> no, but they're behind the scene. It's a different story. Right. And so here you have, this guy and he's 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 on the edge but he's clearly not ready to ready to jump jump in Jesus's boat and so he tests him and because he thinks he's smarter than Jesus right and he says which of the laws expecting Jesus to pick one of the laws but Jesus picks the center of the law which all of the Jews have memorized the great shema right the, that's the that's mm-hmm. the text we looked at in Deuteronomy yeah. chapter 6 right Mm-hmm. Um, and then the following verses about love, because this is all that the law is about, right? So yeah. Jesus basically nails it, and and let's look at and the guy's response. He says, "But because he wished to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor?'" <laughs> so the guy's bested basically, yeah. and he thinks he's going to go ahead and 
and and Jesus. But ultimately, you know, the 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 thing that comes out here really in this this thing is that Jesus is going to turn their whole thing on their head. He's going to call them out of the woodworks because they're all a bunch of haters of everybody, right? And they're hating Jesus, uh, mm -hmm. right? Who is my neighbor? And he says, and then and then Jesus picks the most absolutely offensive story to tell. He is so offensive because he shows the Jews to be what they are in the story. Uh -huh. And then he's, he picks the enemies of God and says, look at this guy, yeah. right? He's actually doing what the law calls to do, even though he doesn't have the law himself, because the, the, the Samaritans only accepted the first five books of Moses. They uh -huh. didn't accept any of the prophets and so forth like that. Okay. And so, you know, all parables are meant, of course, to tell a deeper story. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. That's their purpose. So they represent more than just the figures in the story, which we tend, that's how we kind of end up tending to be like, that's nice, Jesus. Nice Samaritan, right? But that's not the point. And, and it's not what Jesus, the point Jesus is making. The fathers of the church reread this parable and give the spiritual insight in this way. Is who's the good Samaritan? Who's the good Samaritan? Is Jesus, Jesus. himself, yeah. right? And the in that Jesus takes the good Samaritan, the, 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 the guy that gets, uh, that gets uh, you know, robbed and, and beat mm -hmm. is the church. The church. Mm -hmm. The oil and the wine is poured on the wounds of this man. The sacraments of the church. Yeah. The innkeeper is the bishop and mm -hmm. your pastor yeah, and the priest, the bishop and priest. Yeah. Um, who, who care for the church while they wait. Jesus's return, right? Jesus said, when I'm going to come back, I'll repay you, right? For mm -hmm. your deeds. That's the second coming again. They reread this whole story then in the life of the church. And, and this is not a misuse of the text by any means, because of course, yeah. Luke is writing this in the post-resurrection time, in the yeah. in the, the age of the church, if you will, right? Right. So he's writing this for the to the church for the church and our understanding of the church. Jesus may have had a, a slight twist on this in, the, in his condemnation of those around him, but from a positive standpoint, they, they give this, they give this, and of course, why is Jesus the Samaritan? Because he comes from a foreign land, right? He comes from a land far away, heaven mm -hmm. itself, right? And he comes in the most unsuspecting clothing, that is our human nature, which is oftentimes so vile, you know? And yet he takes on our human nature and does with it what we could not otherwise do. So this is how the fathers of the church read the story. There's another, there's another wrinkle in this story that I think we should maybe focus on for just a minute that is maybe it's somewhat hidden in the story itself. And that is the road that this man is, is walking when he gets. Attacked. I wanted to ask like where this is taking place yeah. in between Jerusalem and Jericho. Yeah, yeah. we know the road. I mean, when the when our pilgrims to the Institute of Catholic Culture go with me, we take a bus, of course, you know, but you can still walk this road. Cool. And this was not a road that you walked alone. It was a road mm -hmm. of bandits. It's, it's traditionally called the road of blood. Wow. Because this is where you would get attacked. Of course, Jerusalem here represents heaven. Yeah. And Jericho represents a land, right? The place of darkness, the place. And still, if you go there today, Jericho is not a nice place. I've walked mm. through Jericho before and been afraid of my life. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And I'm serious about that. Like scary. It's scary yeah. place. 
so even in those days, though, it represented this kind of far away from, from the place of safety and this road of blood, this path of temptation, the path of sin, which leads to the place far away from Jerusalem. Uh, you know, one commentator that I was looking at noted, uh, he said this, the story of the Good Samaritan would have been a non-story had some compassionate neighbor simply told the traveler, you're don't risking go. your life. Yeah, don't go down that way. Wow. <laughs> Instead of being called the good, the story of the Good Samaritan, this commentator says, it could have been easily called the parable of the foolish traveler. Wow. Or maybe the careless neighbor. Wow. Who never warned the guy, don't go down that road, right? That the road which you are walking is a road that only can lead to destruction. Hmm. Wow. And I think this is a really a, a helpful thing for us because especially today when we are told as Christians we are to keep our mouths shut yeah we're not supposed to tell people that it's not okay to live this way or that way we're supposed to be accepting like Jesus would have been right which is all nonsense but in fact the truly loving thing to do for another person is tell them the truth and to warn them this kind of life can only lead to destruction. I remember my dad when I was living in uh, far away from the church, not physically, but spiritually, would always tell me the truth whenever I saw him. Whenever we're talking on the phone, he always, and he'd say, it's time to come back to the church. You're not going to find happiness out there. You know, uh, he was a good Samaritan to me. He was a, a true father. But instead, we're supposed to with our kids. Oh, son, you have to find your own way. And it's okay to express yourself. That's all nonsense. And look what, and look at how it leads, right? I, I don't think I have to tell you the results of that happens when there's spiritual child abuse going on. Yeah. Telling people it's okay to do whatever you want. It's not okay. It never has been okay. And no matter what you say, it won't be okay because you have been given a nature by God to live a certain way. And if you don't live that way, you're not going to discover freedom. You're just going to discover destruction. Yeah. Well, no. kind of like that verse in Deuteronomy that you were reading to us, you know, I place before you life and death. Look, there are many roads in this life which, le which lead to danger. And I do no good for anybody to keep my mouth shut and tell them that it's okay. Try it out. No, I will answer before God if I do that. Mm -hmm. I must take responsibility for the way I speak to other people. As a Christian, I am ordained. To be the good Samaritan, number one, and number two, the good neighbor who says, you shouldn't even need the good Samaritan. Don't walk down that road. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to find yourself in a place far off. And I, I just speak to our uh, to the parents here. I know it's difficult sometimes. You got to tell the truth to your kids and, and be willing to be a witness to them in love, of course. Be a witness. I remember my father when I was shacked up with my girlfriend call it what it is and I was the two of us were driving to we were driving through my dad's town so I dad hey can I come visit so uh he met me in the driveway the two of us in the driveway and he said I love you I love you both but you can't come in the house while you're living in sin it's it, it, and because because I can't turn a blind eye to it. You can't live like this. It doesn't work. You won't find happiness and you won't find a, a, a lasting relationship. And of course it didn't last. And you know, while 
so many in my life at that time turned a blind eye, never said anything. Family members, so-called friends. My dad was the only one that stood up and told me the truth. So when it came time of difficulty in my life, when I had tried all the things the world was offering for happiness, he was the only one left that had actually told me the truth. So who did I call? I went back to my dad. Hmm. And then he told me what he had been telling me all along, which was, it's time to go to confession. It's time to go back to the church. And that was the only thing I hadn't tried, really, a relationship with Christ. And so there it was. So I just encourage our parents, grandparents, tell the truth in love. But never, never walk away from that gift you've God's given you to be a witness to your children. And here in the story of the Samaritan, the good Samaritan, I think we're given that underlying story that is that is present there. Maybe not on the surface of the story, but certainly on, uh, behind and, and, in, and in relationship with Deuteronomy also. And the example of Moses, pray for the intercession of the great and holy prophet Moses. Absolutely. I was going to ask about, you know, sort of the liturgical context in which we are are receiving this gospel passage. Yeah, that's, that's um, you know, because I mean, as as you've been saying over these past weeks, we have to look at everything in the light of Pentecost. Right. And so this now the church has gone out into the world, right, is encountering the Gentiles. Not easy to say. Yeah, let me I got the good news for you. And that is you got to change your life right i got good news for you you got that relationship you got ain't gonna work you know and so it takes courage to do this i remember pope benedict uh saying um uh saying this is saying look if we believe that we have discovered i'm gonna paraphrase i don't have his quote from sure if we believe that we have discovered the most valuable thing of all and that is we've we, we've come to know the true god and how to live our life. We do no injustice to anyone. In fact, we must, right? If we love them, we must go to them and tell and give them the opportunity, the chance at authentic happiness, the chance of a relationship with God. We have to do this as Christians. So liturgically, which is the mercy, right? The one who treated him with mercy. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it was merciful what Moses did. It was merciful what, what the Good Samaritan did. It was merciful what Jesus did. Now, we are called in that communion to live out that life of mercy for others. And again, that doesn't mean mercy is being used all over the place, including in some corridors of some ecclesiastical, hierarchical buildings in eternal cities in which the word mercy is being used to sit, make... Well, let's just kind of, it's okay. You found your own path. There is one path. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one will come to the Father except through me. I don't remember Jesus saying, it's okay. Live however you want. He says, go and sin no more. Mm-hmm. You know, I just saw recently, Annie, I texted this to you. Yeah an article about the recent meeting of families. And in this article, the, uh, the author of the article, the Pope was at this meeting. There were a number of people chosen to stand up and give witness to their family life. And the author of the article had the gall to say that the one of these people that stood up, he says, we used to call this living in sin. 
and the person said they'd got that they had they had gotten shacked up with their with their boyfriend or girlfriend and 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 no and they felt so rejected by the church because because they felt like they couldn't go anywhere so they finally found a church that would accept them for who they are and that someday they they're going to think about getting married and these are the people that are standing up giving witness to family life at the at the at the family conference of the catholic church my head blew off yeah this is not mercy this is the opposite of mercy mercy true mercy is seeing the other person where they are and helping them get to what they need and what they need is not to be comfortable where they are in the pig pen of the prodigal son the only thing that is merciful is to help them get back to the father's house i'm going to calm down before <laughs> i have a coronary well i was going to say this this reminds me of it, folks who have uh, been around for a while know what a big fan of dr john bergs i am and he brings this out all the time i don't know if this is um the word in the original language um, that's used in this passage, but oftentimes when we see the word mercy in the Bible, it's the word hesed, which Dr. Bergsma says is actually more accurately um, translated as covenant faithfulness. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, oh, pat you on the head, you're doing life just fine, you know, keep going wherever you're going, the Lord will look the other way. No, it's covenant faithfulness. Think about that. You know, Annie, that's a that's a really good point about our communion with God and mercy in the, of course, Dr. Bergsma is a, a biblical scholar. He knows his biblical languages. When you're speaking in Hebrew, Luke is written in Greek. Greek. Yes. Yeah. And the, and the word for mercy in Greek is aleos. Okay. What does that sound like? Eleison. Eleison. Yeah. Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. Yeah. The word for mercy in Greek is related to the word for oil. Yeah. Ooh, so, so to be wow. to be merciful is really to oil somebody, you know. Wow. Or we could say the pouring on of the oil is an act of mercy, right? The oil. Look, the oil. Just go back. Very. I should have said this before, but oil and wine in the ancient world were used to heal wounds because the 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 wine and the alcohol in the wine would like purify it, it, would yeah. sanitize it, and the oil would seal it so the buggies couldn't get in, which is kind of disgusting. Mm. But but anyway, but here, yeah, the, the word in Greek has this, these two aspects to it, right? To be, wow. to, which is really beautiful because a much better church, point than what I was making. <laughs> no, no, but it, no, it's in some sense is the same point because the Lord who's merciful to us and, and, and coming to heal our wounds and the healing of our wounds, of course, it's a parable. It's not about physical wounds, but about our spiritual wounds. The healing of our wounds can only take place with a, a restoration of our communion with God. Mm-hmm. because the wound is our separation right. so this, the point is the same one but very beautiful the, the, when we come before the church and she uses oil to anoint us when we're sick yeah and how beautiful that is the, the two the two words and, the, and then the hebrew also the two words connected anyways annie we're going to run out of time let's look at the uh, uh, okay we don't have time but here's what i'm going to do the text colossians chapter 1 verse 15 through 20 we could spend hours on this because uh, because theologians have have written books and libraries on it Uh, chapters chapter one verse 15 through 20 identifying who jesus is okay i have to read it because it's so good yeah okay you read it annie and then we say one thing we're gonna leave it okay okay that sounds great this is colossians chapter one verse 15 through 20 christ jesus is the image of the invisible god the firstborn of all creation 
For in him were created all things in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things, he himself might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile all things for him, making peace by the blood of his cross through him, whether those on earth or those in heaven. Very beautiful. I only go back to what we said last week about, you'll remember that our reading last week from uh, Isaiah 66, I believe it was. Yeah, Isaiah 66. Yeah. Isaiah 66 about, about Jerusalem mother and the, and the yeah. people of God nursing. The, baby. Right? Yeah. the theme of rebirth in Nicodemus to be born, Anathan to be born again. This theme continues now in the epistle reading of us being reborn in Christ. He is the firstborn of the church, all of us who are now reborn in him mm. and have given, been given now this newness of life to walk down that road of life. In him, the fullness of, of deity dwells. Therefore, those who have come into communion with him, those who are within him through baptism receive this gift of God's life within us. It's not far from you Christians, Moses tells us. Yeah. It's right here planted in your soul in the day of your baptism, only awaiting for you to choose to live it. To Christ our God be glory, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.